The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, I have come to set the earth on fire, and how I wish it were already blazing. There is a baptism with which I must be baptized, and how great is my anguish until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to establish peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, a household of five will be divided, three against two, and two against three. A father will be divided against his son, and a son against his father, a mother against her daughter and a daughter against her mother, a mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. The Gospel of the Lord. When we engage a sharp and off-putting and difficult text of Scripture like we have before us today, the natural instinctive reaction is to stop and say, Jesus can't really mean that. He must be exaggerating. And then the step that follows it is to list all the reasons why we're right in that sense and that he doesn't really mean it, and so we don't have to worry about it. Jesus never speaks just to hear himself talk. We do that. Jesus doesn't speak just to give us interesting things to say and wonder about. We do that. And so as we engage passages like we have before us, the real issue is not the question of, does Jesus really mean that? The real question is, what does he mean? by speaking in this way. Because interpreting scripture and listening to revelation, it's not a search for what God's not saying. That would be like me listening to you and I'm focused on what is he or she not saying to me right now? Well, that might be dozens and dozens of things, each of which has fascinating possibilities to explore but note how it leads to my missing what you're actually saying to me. And so when we have a passage like this, the church has long insisted, the real question is, what is the Lord saying? With this language of division, what is revelation and the liturgy saying to us today with that sharply worded gospel acclamation from St. Paul? This is scripture too. I consider all things to be rubbish, garbage, so that I may possess Jesus Christ. Well, again, what on earth does that mean and what is St. Paul 
saying. And so now, as we look at it, Jesus is not speaking about the destruction of the family. Jesus is not speaking about the angry, violent divisions that have marked human history and mark, frankly, our present national moment here in these United States. But he's also saying, in that surprising sense, I haven't come to bring peace in the earth. What on earth could that mean? And so now we pause. And consider for a moment your own experience in life of awkward silences. You know that silence where there's an issue, but no one wants to say anything about it because of what's going to happen, how somebody's going to react, what might happen to me if I speak inconveniently, that experience we have of walking on eggshells around each other, where on the one hand, we keep the peace, but at the cost of what? There are many who live lives in a sense that are at peace with those around them, but that peace is what traps people in abusive relationships. That false peace is what allows tyranny to flourish. There is much peace on earth imposed at the point of a gun, there is much peace imposed by threat. Our present national moment of what we are broadly calling cancel culture. I dare not say something honestly because I am afraid of the public backlash and shaming that comes with it. And so I don't speak. I don't act. I keep the peace. At what price? And so Jesus is saying, I haven't come for that peace. I have not come for that disordered, violent, even angry peace that the world all too often mistakes for the real thing. The peace which defines itself on, if I'm not offended, everything's okay. The peace that defines itself as, as long as everything is good with me, everything is fine. The peace that says, I will impose my will on you. And when my will is imposed, I will be at peace. And Jesus says, I haven't come for that. And if you think I've come to let you live in that playground of your impulsiveness, where no one challenges you, no one corrects you, no one names reality for what it is, you're talking to the wrong guy. And so I have come with a different kind of a word because I've come to bring a different kind of peace. And that peace begins with our being willing to separate or divide ourselves away from that which is wrong. And so I've come for a certain separating. I have come for a dividing. 
And Jesus reminds us with this example, especially this example of a household, of a family. And in the idiom of the Bible, the household refers first and foremost to an actual family. But it also refers to society. It refers to the household of the nation. It refers to the household of the people. And the Lord is saying here, and don't make an idol out of your household. Don't mistake your family for my kingdom. Don't mistake your values for mine. Because the essence of sin in many levels is not that we do things because they're bad. Very few people look at something and say, this is bad for me and bad for the world and bad for the people around me, so let me do it. There are unhealthy personalities that function that way, but that's how we recognize the sickness. For most of us, we don't sin that way. What we do is we say, this would be really good for me. I would really enjoy this. This seems like it could be right. And what we do is we take that one thing and we fixate on it and we make it the most important thing and then we do it without realizing that as I choose this thing, I'm placing it above things that are more important, things that are greater. Sometimes I make choices and the thing I choose, I'm placing over my family, over my marriage, over those around me. This disorder in the human heart that says, I need to have my things, I need to get my way, and I will order the world in accordance with these things. This is what Jesus is talking about. And so he says, we do this in our households, we do this in our employment, we do this nationally, we do this culturally. And he says, I haven't come to reinforce that. What a remarkable statement that is. Because here the Lord is saying, if you're going to follow me, that means reordering your priorities. That means getting a different sense of what sits at the top of the list. It means getting a different sense of how you are to live that may make you uncomfortable and may from time to time make those around you uncomfortable. This is the division he's talking about. This way that the Christian life learns to separate or divide itself from that which is against the gospel. And so if I begin to live a better moral life, I may very quickly find out that I have certain friendships that are obstacles for my moral health. And I need to make a choice. What is more important, this friendship or my growth in the Lord? It may be that as I grow and learn more about the gospel, I discover that I have beha behaviors 
that I need to separate myself from, that I need to leave behind. It may be that society has certain values that I can no longer embrace or share the way I used to. And I need to make a decision. And so rather than simply uniting myself to belong, uniting myself out of some false idea of unity, that unity in itself is better than truth and better than goodness and better than the gospel. I recognize that it's union in the gospel, union in truth, union in goodness that is the correct value. And that those are the things I need to unite myself to. So notice Jesus isn't talking about a disordered, destructive sense of division. And we need to be clear about that. He is not talking about that all too easy language all too many of, we, of us Catholics sometimes use today, where it is easy to point the finger at a political party, at somebody else, and say, that's demonic. And note what we do, we dehumanize someone. It's one thing to say something is right and something is wrong. But the Lord isn't talking about a division that lacks charity or a standing for truth that allows me to say anything I want because I'm right. And the Lord is speaking first and foremost about that division that results when the heart chooses goodness, when the heart chooses truth, and how that heart moving in the direction of truth is going to move away from certain things. And so even in our households, the Lord says that's going to happen, in part because our hearts don't move at the same rate, in part because one of the tragedies of our sin-fallen world is in our own households. There can be those members who have surrendered themselves into the hands of that which is not good and are not interested in changing. And there's the simple fact that anyone who wants to grow in his faith, even in a basically Christian household where we're all trying to get it right, runs into sooner or later that moment where if I'm changing faster than the people around me, everybody's uncomfortable. You know, that happens. That happens. But note the directionality of this. It's a division, but not an angry one. The Christian who is separated, the Christian who moves away, is really moving towards something. And that is a movement that must be marked by charity, not anger, not judgmentalism, not fear, but by the vision of the goodness toward which we are moving. Because the only other choice, as we've been hearing in our readings, is not to move forward at all. Because all of these other directions, in the end, only lead to one place, as St. Paul says. They lead to death. And note how he hits that drumbeat in his letter to the Romans. He doesn't get off of that idea. This idea that is, runs through Scripture from the beginning to the end. There are two ways. And only two ways, just so that we're clear. It is not that there are many ways, 
And following Jesus is one way among many. There are two, exactly two ways. There is the way of God and that which is not the way of God. Those are the only two ways we can choose. I either choose to move along the way of the Lord or I choose not to. If I choose to give myself completely to pursuing my career and ignore the Lord, if I choose to wallow in the lusts of the flesh and ignore the Lord, if I choose the way of ambition and ignore the Lord, that's only one way, is I'm choosing the way that's not His. And there are only two eternal outcomes. There is eternal there is the bliss of eternal life in heaven with the blessed and the Lord. And there is the eternal sorrow of eternal life cut off from the Lord. Note how the Lord, in this language of division, is simply reminding us of what we already know. Human life only has two outcomes. There are only two ways that we can move. There's the broad and popular way of the world, and there is the narrow, difficult way of the gospel. But only one of those leads to life, not both. And so this division that Jesus speaks about is an important thing, and it really hits the idea of where is my life headed? And the statement of St. Paul then, I consider all things so much rubbish, so much trash to be cast aside, doesn't mean St. Paul is saying everything about the world is horrible, get rid of it. He's saying compared to the good that I am seeking, None of this is that good. However good any lesser thing may be, it is so far below the greatest thing, which I value so much, I can set the rest of the world aside for the sake of that good. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, most of us likely can't say that with the same authority and intensity and honesty as St. Paul. And we don't need to in this moment. This great grace that St. Paul had to prize the kingdom of heaven so highly, so mightily, is a sign for the rest of us of just how important being on the right way is. And when I choose to be on the right way, what does that mean? I leave behind me what is the wrong way. And not even because it's bad, but because it gets in the way. Because it holds me from the forward movement. Sin, as I said, often begins not by choosing something that's bad, but by choosing something that's good but not the right good for now, not the best good, and stopping myself short. This is why St. Paul insists that when I surrender myself to the desires of my body, 
when I surrender myself to my career ambitions, when I surrender myself to my preoccupation for my family, all of which can be good things. But when I surrender myself completely to these things, I no longer belong to the Lord in the way that I need to. And in the end, they will pull me away from that one path that leads to life. And if the pathway doesn't lead to life, it only has one other outcome. You know, and terribly and tragically, we can simply look at our world and see the results of this. How often has the pursuit of ambition and power on an individual and a national level around the world, how often has that produced death? the destruction of the innocent, the wounding of many. How often was the false freedom, you know, the false freedom of the so-called sexual revolution of the late 60s and 70s? When we are free to pursue the urges of our body in any way we want, and this is a movement toward freedom. And how many families were destroyed because of that? How many lives never came to birth because of that? Because my freedom to do as I decide with my body, you know, that's a good freedom to have. But it's not the greatest freedom. And note how these values, they couch themselves in words that highlight their goodness without reminding us that there are greater goods, more important goods, that there is another way, another value. And how easily the Christian heart gets seduced by these things. We can be seduced by angry forms of patriotism. We can be seduced by economic greed and grasping. We can be seduced by carnal pleasures. We can be seduced by the many voices that tell us what we want to hear. And Jesus says, I've come to separate you from all of that, from all of those things. But note, that's not because I'm rejecting people. It's because I'm calling people out of what leads them into darkness to move toward light. He's come, in a sense, to divide us out of the fallenness of this world, toward the light of that kingdom and that true freedom, which endures unto eternally and to eternity and joyfully. What a great thing that is. And how important for us who gather on this day where we continue to pray our novena for life, to reflect on this and to remind ourselves the angry partisan and political divisions that mark our national moment and often our discourse about the dignity and the goodness of life. Jesus didn't come for that, but he came for that charitable, bold, clear witness 
and commitment to the gospel and the dignity of life as a gift from God that will show itself with clarity and that will not easily submit neither to the anger nor the ready compromises that a world that is too quick to cast life aside wants to hold out for us as something that's good. And he says, and a culture that's been compromised by this isn't going to want to hear it. But I didn't come for the culture to be popular, comfortable. I didn't come for any political persuasion to be comfortable. I didn't come for any family to be completely comfortable as it is. Because the simple truth is, as much as we like to say Jesus meets us where we are, if where we were was such a good place, we wouldn't need a savior. And so he comes to meet us where we are and to bring us where we need to be. And so there's always something for any one of us about where I am that gets left behind. Because there's always something about where I am that holds me back, that traps me, that stops my forward movement. So in a few moments, beautifully and wonderfully, Jesus comes here and he meets us where we are. And we'll move forward. And the symbolism of walking forward to receive communion is important. Note, Jesus, unless you're physically unable to move forward, doesn't come to you in the bench. The Lord comes to where you are and it produces a movement within us. And as we move forward, we stretch out our hands to him. And as we receive him into our hearts in this present moment, it is so that our hearts can move forward with a new vigor and a new direction with him. And that is a tremendously great gift. Amen.